Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. What can you talk to me about, Amanda, whilst we wait for Mick to join our merry crew? Well, man, it's tough. I'm like, my my head is so right up the election these days. (laughs) It's one of those things where you wonder uh, what life's going to look like on the other side of it. But then, you know, nowadays there's not actually a break. It is just relentless, isn't it? Everything is just like 100 miles an hour news-wise and stuff. Okay, Congress, how many seat majority the Democrats going to have? Oh, God, I don't even know. I, you know what? I promised um, my employer I would actually do more research in that direction. Because the question, you know, for us in the East Coast Hello. is like how... Hello, mate. Yeah. Hey. Hello. All right. Sorry, Amanda, you were saying... The question for us on the East Coast is how soon are we going to get a good idea if there is actually a blue wave? Mm-hmm. I, it really kind of depends on how many toss-up districts are here in the, on the East Coast, and I really need to spend some like 20 minutes researching that. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Brexit means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic, from the perspective of the other. I'm Royfield Brown, who's about to say goodbye to London before I fly to Boston. Now today, we are joined by my favourite senior political editor at Salon, it's Amanda Marcotte in New York, and by the pugnacious voice of the people, that is Mick Wright in Norwich. Say hello, folks. In a week that has seen Lewis Hamilton win yet another F1 World Championship, we ask... What the hell is the world coming to when the President of the United States can call himself a nationalist? And I told all of the European nations it's not fair. We have all these horrible trade imbalances. They take such advantage, they're not taking advantage anymore, folks. Under Republican leadership, America is winning again. America is respected again because we are putting America first. We're putting America first. It hasn't happened in a lot of decades. 
We're putting them first. We're taking care of ourselves for a change, folks. Thank you. I like that guy, but not that much. Not that much. But radical Democrats want to turn back the clock. Or the rule of corrupt, power-hungry globalists. You know what a globalist is, right? You know what a globalist is. A globalist is a person that wants the globe to do well, frankly, not caring about our country so much. And you know what? We can't have that. You know, they have a word. It sort of became old-fashioned. It's called a nationalist. And I say, really, we're not supposed to use that word. You know what I am? I'm a nationalist, okay? I'm a nationalist. Nationalist. Nothing else. Use that word. Use that word. Last week, Trump declared himself a nationalist at a campaign rally in Houston. You know, they have a word. It's sort of become old-fashioned. It's called a nationalist. You know what I am? I'm a nationalist, okay? I'm a nationalist. Amanda, what does that actually mean in 2018? He and his supporters, of course, are going to digress and throw up a bunch of smoke and mirrors. But, you know, he was doing what he's done since the beginning, which is letting a very, very racist group of conservative nationalists, authoritarian types, know that he is absolutely one of them and that they can count on him to support a white nationalist agenda. You know, I'm not surprised he's gone there, used that word, and I'm also not surprised that as soon as he did, they started making excuses because that's the game they play. They signal strongly to white nationalists that they are on their side, and then they tell everybody else that we're being hysterical for also picking up on the dog whistle. But didn't he push back on the, in in that interview with Fox News, he says, oh, I'm not a white nationalist, you know, I I don't know what you mean by that type of thing. Now, he was making a very clear distinction, wasn't he? Um, He was pretending to, but again, that's the game they play. They you know, he and his his administration, they clearly send signals of pretty overt white nationalism to the base. And then they turn to the like what they consider the liberal press or whatever and claim that they're being misread by hysterical social justice warriors and that it's political correctness and all that. And his base understands that this is a game. They feel like they're in on the cons, so they don't mind him making those denials because they don't believe them. Uh, Mick, let's do a bit of compare and contrast, which ultimately is what this show's all supposed to be about. Brexit unleashed a wave of English nationalism, or at least has. I'm going to put it in the past tense, um, which has kind of damaged the union. And Brexit fundamentally is the manifestation of English nationalism. Why has no English MP outed themselves as a nationalist as yet? Because uh, we prefer to be put a much thicker, polite veneer on our uh, racist tendencies in the UK. It would be considered uh, incredibly impolite to be that honest, I think. Some people have got close enough to It's interesting, isn't it? Because Farage will and, and, and enjoys palling around with Bannon and Bannon talks about being an ethno-nationalist. So it's not like they're not happy enough to hang out with people who describe themselves that way. I guess 
partly as well, it's that the British National Party was electoral poison. So, you know, nationalism and nationalist as a word has a kind of uh, a different kind of um, recent political history as an effective brand. And of course, we do have people who describe themselves as nationalists in UK politics, the Scottish National Party, but that's a slightly different thing. So, you know, words mean different things in different countries is the answer. Yeah, but this kind of English nationalism is something which, you know, we kind of feel it's kind of jackboots and Tommy Robinson, don't we? Or at least jackboots, maybe taking it back to the 1930s. We kind of feel it's kind of football casuals and hooligans and, and you know, uh, Kappa track suits. Yeah, but even they, even they now call them. They like they don't really tend. To, they less use that word. They they've they've picked up on the American thing of calling themselves patriots now. That's their real, that's mm. their favourite little badge now. Amanda, I'm kind of slightly confused by all this because um, after the eleven worshippers were slaughtered at Pittsburgh at that synagogue on Saturday, Trump condemned the scourge of anti-Semitism the same time as making a push for a hardline immigration announcing a proposal to end birthright citizenship etc and then saying that his use of the word nationalist is simply just a contrast with globalists that for me is utterly a dog whistle and globalists means jews doesn't it it means jews Uh it means banking it means you know the control of institutions this wasn't a slip of the tongue how the hell can the President of the United States say this when he is a friend of Israel and his daughter is Jewish and his son-in-law? I'm confused. I'm utterly confused. You know, for one thing, people are complicated. Even, you know, simple fool like Donald Trump. (laughs) But more importantly, I think that... And I wrote about this at Salon, and I think it's kind of worth really thinking about. He talks out of both sides of his mouth very specifically because there's this narrative of political correctness that allows his followers to filter it. Like the way that like the kind of like right wing reactionary thinks about things Trump says is when he says bigoted things, when he calls himself a nationalist, when he makes anti-Semitic jokes, jokes, when he does stuff like that then they hear that as the true unvarnished Trump speaking the truth, right? Mm -hmm. And when he says things like anti-Semitism is wrong, they hear that as what the forces of political correctness are making him say. And the White House goes to a a lot of effort to make sure that that's how the base views this sort of thing. And, you know, one example I would give is after Trump, gave that speech where he condemned anti-Semitism, the White House went and leaked to Maggie Haberman at the New York Times a story about how Jared and Ivanka Kushner, Trump, I guess she still uses her maiden name, but basically how those two made Trump say it, that they wrote that for him, that they told him that he had to say it, that they pushed him into it. And I was like, well, so that feeds the narrative, right? Trump didn't want to say it. These two wealthy Jews conspired to make him say it. <laughs> That's the the narrative they want out there, right? Mm. So it it kind of all fits together and allows the base to believe that they're to believe that their conspiracy theories about Jewish conspiracies are valid and that they can safely ignore anything Trump says to the contrary because he doesn't mean it. 
Mm. And those conspiracy theories are there because that's what all this George Soros nonsense is all always about, isn't it? You know, it isn't just the fact that this man has got money and he's helping to finance uh, democratic and liberal campaigns. He's a Jew and he's doing this. You know, that that's what yeah. that's all about. Um, Mick, is it possible to put a line between patriot nationalist and white nationalist when we when we're looking at this uh, alt right bullshit wave which is sloshing over the right fringes of American politics no <laughs> come on now come on I'm now I'm on your side Mick man <laughs> <laughs> no no there's not wait, what do, what would you like my answer to be no um, no no, no, no. And I'll, and I'll, Michael I'll dance you up, Mick, dance you, Mick you are a much more considered and, and thoughtful person than me Right, and you're much better at using the English language, so I'm deferring to you. I asked the question. I have no agenda as to what your answer should be, sir. No, no is the answer. That's, that's the only answer that there is, really. I mean, it, I I think, um, you know, I can't remember who who the who said the quote, but you know, like patriotism is the last refuge of the scoundrel. It's like there's still. Uh, I I've always had a huge problem with the notion of patriotism because it it's it, 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 uh, and uh, it, it ties into a lot of with what's going on around questions of immigration in the UK, where there's this notion of like some idealized origin state of the nation that before all these horrible immigrants came, there was this nation and like there was this sort of national character and that the, the, the patriots want that to come back. Like, I don't think anyone who isn't a lunatic or a racist calls themselves a patriot. Seriously, that's <laughs> my position on it. <laughs> But there are going to be many people, many Americans, Amanda, who would say that they are patriotic and would not be an out-and-out racist. They'd say, yeah, you know, I'm pro-America. I don't mind a little bit of flag-waving. When the national anthem comes up before baseball or football, I, I kind of stand up. They're going to believe, at least some of those people are going to believe, that America, Americans can be white, can be brown, and can be black, surely. Yeah, I mean... Uh... It's really very frustrating because it's it, to see nationalists and ethno nationalists. And again, I also do not distinguish between the two um, because why on earth would you call yourself a nationalist, especially in this day and age? I, I really hate to see them conflate that with like patriotism, which I can I, I still I agree with a lot of mixed concerns about the idea of patriotism because of the way it's exploited. But there is a narrative about the United States that I agree with, which is that it is, you know, the world's oldest democracy that is a multicultural place, melting pot where people from all over the world have come for freedom and blah, blah, blah. You know, <laughs> I guess we it's I mean, isn't I'm, that just a lie? But isn't that basically a lie, though? Like, it, but it, it doesn't lie. It doesn't feel like a lie when you're living in New York City, I'll tell you what. And, and and where I grew up in El Paso, Texas, is like the majority of the population there is Latino. Every I, I think that there's a lot of ugliness and, and racism in our society. I'm not denying it, but I also think that the ideals that we – that particular ideal is achievable. I don't think – I don't want to be cynical about that. I think – that a lot of people that is their lived daily experience. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I do think that it's possible. And to espouse those values as patriotism, I think there might be still value in saying that 
that these are the American ideals and that a true patriot believes in in anti-racism and believes in multiculturalism and believes in democracy. Mm. It's just one of the kind of clear differences between the US and the UK. In this regard, we are very European that to even call yourself a patriot for us means that ultimately uh, you have some extreme right-wing um, feeling. The whole idea of calling yourself a patriot and a nationalist is so, not even right-wing, it's just fascist in, in a British kind of concept, concept um, of which when I go to America, and I spend obviously half my time in America, and the amount of houses that have uh, flagpoles display in the stars and stripes would be incredibly peculiar in the UK. That sends a completely... Oh, it depends dip- where you are. There's, there's quite a lot of that in the home counties. Nowhere near like what you get in the States, though, Mick. Nowhere well, I near. know, because, we, because, we, because we, we still cling to vague notions of the no- idea of taste. Um, <laughs> and yet your flag is so much better looking than ours. Well, you know what? I, I think that's an interesting point because I think, right, and it's something which I, I've talked about in Mid-Atlantic before when I spoke to Tim Marshall, who's done a great series of books about flags and political identity, that actually the flag of St. George uh, is a terrible flag. However, the Union Jack is an incredibly clever and, and, and complex, uh, aesthetically beautiful thing. What was that? If you're on a ship. If I'm on a ship. It's only the jack when you're on the ship. Okay. All right. All right. Smart (laughs) ass. All right. The union flag. The union flag. I think it's incredibly clever. And you look at all those triangular shapes and whatever they're cut out of it. It's brilliant. But anyway, moving swiftly on. I don't know that if I go to Tunbridge Wells, not even 5% of the amount of uh, flags on flagpoles outside people's houses, let alone when you look at any traditional... English British city and look at municipal buildings and you never see flags you know we should go to Texas where they also fly the the Texas flag with a a lot of aggression there (laughs) what are you going to say on the flag thing Mm -hmm. because uh, you're a little bit older than me right so and certainly your parents will have remembered this you Mm -hmm. know the, the of the national front marching in the UK singing you know there ain't no black in the Union Jack like uh-huh. how how do you, how does your how do you find having like a relationship with that flag in that respect knowing that the flag has been used a lot and still is by the extreme white nationalist elements in the UK I actually think that for a person of color in Britain to march underneath the Union flag, not Jack, is actually fine now. And because one of the things about being um, somebody of colour and being of these islands is to say that your part of your identity is British, you're, you're black British or you're African British or whatever. Mm-hmm. So actually, I think, I'm not going to say we've reclaimed that, but we've claimed our part to actually wave the British flag. The flag, which for me is much more problematic, not even much more, is problematic is the flag of St. George, because that Mm -hmm. does say white van man, and that's at best, that is at best, and at worst it says ethno-white, fuck off all people who are not white, and if you're Eastern European, join them too. That's what the flag of St. George says to me. If you see that hung out of somebody's house, 
or stuck on the side of their van. That's completely different uh, than the Union Jack. It's worth remembering we've got a whole part of the United Kingdom in, in Northern Ireland where flags are incredibly, incredibly contentious. Mm. And my takeaway at the end of the show is going to come back to that, so remind me. Right, will do. But let's just end up with Trump and, and nationalism. Amanda, nothing stokes up a little bit of nationalism like a caravan of, of marauding brown people heading towards America. <laughs> um, like, we know it's a lie and... Uh, the, the, basically, they're not going to be raping old grannies in their bedrooms and stuff. But the Republican Party is now aligned, in effect, with nationalists. When you look at their attitude to do with immigration, the fictional bogeyman of the caravan who we just mentioned, or even the potential revoking of birthright citizenship. Is it just a matter of time before the Republican Party becomes the overt white party of America? And they just say, that's what we are. Yeah, I mean, I think we've probably crossed that line in a sense. I I mean, I don't think we're probably ever going to get to the position where we know, like, it's definitively we've crossed the line. We can officially say that's what it is now. But you you go to, like, uh, if you look at the pictures of the Trump rallies, if you were at the Republican National Convention like I was, Mm-hmm. Um, it was not a place for people of color. It, it hasn't, it, it just isn't. And, and I felt like the reporters I knew that were there that were people of color were more uncomfortable than I've ever seen them at political events. Um, and it was in just such a contrast to the Democratic National Convention in that way. And I, I don't... You know, I think that they will coast for a long time and possibly forever on claiming publicly that that's not what's going on while espousing all the policies that would be identical to that point of view, while winking repeatedly at overt white nationalists and people that are avowed racist and all that stuff. So, I I mean, they may play this game into infinity because it's benefiting them, but for all practical purposes, uh, the fact that there are even playing the game of it's time to to gut a 150-year-old constitutional amendment because we don't like the hue of the people that are moving here, I, I, it's over. I mean, I think that they've crossed that line. Do you think that's part of the reason why Nikki Haley stood down last month? My personal theory, she's the anonymous Washington Post op-ed writer or New York Times op-ed writer. I think you could well be right there. Um, uh, other than that, I don't know. Funny story about Nikki Haley on this. You you might be entertained by when she was a baby in South Carolina. Her parents tried to um, put her in a beautiful baby contest, but in South Carolina back then they had one for white babies and one for black babies, and they didn't know which one to put her in, so they banned <laughs> her from the contest. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Let's just end up here. Not all vocal opponents of illegal immigration are white nationalists. Is it possible to talk about immigration and a push for stronger borders without being seen, at least by the left, as a racist? Amanda, what do you reckon? Um, I don't think that there is a way to... And I say this just as someone who grew up on the border of Mexico. I just don't see how you can separate the two. I don't know why we need stronger borders. I grew up with 
no, no wall, no fence, fairly easy passage back and forth over the border without all the like rigmarole. And it was fine. Mm. (laughs) Um, All of this extra border security, all it does is force the people that live in the area to live under a police state. And for what? Because we're afraid of Mexicans? Like, there's nothing to be afraid of. It's just the country next to us. And the fact of the matter is that all this goes on with the Mexican border, not the Canadian border. I think that tells you everything you need to know. But I'll tell you what, though, Amanda, it is not you cannot walk over that Canadian border without um, seeing some pretty stringent uh, security. I mean, you have to show a passport, which you didn't have to do before 9-11. And I really wish we would get back to that. But it's not like the same level of border security that you're seeing at the Mexican border. You're not seeing the same kind of fencing. You're not seeing the same kind of lines to cross. And that's just going back and forth. That's not even talking about immigration. When it comes to immigration, I think, you know, the issue here is if we pass some kind of immigration reform that made it easier for, you know, people that are currently having to immigrate without documentation to get that documentation, I'd be all for that. But on the whole, immigration is very good for America, and the main problem with it right now is that our laws are too strict, and therefore a bunch of people move here without the documentation they need to live more easily in the United States. We, that's what needs to be fixed. Cool. Great. And all right. And now we're going to talk about things a little bit closer to home, at least for me anyway. It's the UK budget of 2018. The Right Honourable Philip Hammond. Yeah! I can report to the British people that their hard work is paying off and the era of austerity is finally coming to an end. I am increasing work allowances in universal credit by £1,000 per annum at a cost of £1.7 billion annually once rollout is complete. Universal credit is here to stay. I can announce that the NHS 10-year plan will include a new mental health crisis service. These new services will ensure that people suffering from a crisis, young or old, can get the help they need. The government will abolish the use of PFI and PF2 for future projects, putting another legacy of labour behind us. Today I'm announcing a £400 million in-year bonus to help our schools buy the little extras they need. A one-off, a one-off capital payment. We will freeze fuel duties for the ninth successive year. This week, Philip Hammond delivered his 2018 budget. The era of austerity has finally come to an end. Mick, was he right? No, it hasn't come to an end. Yeah, of course it hasn't. <laughs> You, t- you, you just clap your hands and go, austerity is over. It showed that the majority of the British press is incredibly docile at the moment. They're like sleepy dogs in front of a fire. Uh, Hammond will have been really pleased with the um, front pages the next day and the general um, response to the budget. But it's a budget that uh, predominantly helps the higher rate taxpayers. It's a it was a budget speech and um, interviews following the budget in which um, Hammond talked about giving, you know, giving schools a little bit of extra money to spend. You know, schools where 
they are suffering from shortage of teachers, a shortage of supplies, um, you know, major issues with building funds. We've got a, a, a massive uh, care crisis. We've got massive homelessness crisis. The, the, the austerity is writ large across the country. You know, in, in, in towns and cities, you see it on the streets. So for the Chancellor and for the Prime Minister to just sort of declare austerity to be over and for former Chancellor turned terrible newspaper editor George Osborne to be doing touring the, the studios to say how austerity was a success is a kind of just abomination. But wasn't it just good to have a major bit of British political theatre, Mick, that wasn't about Brexit first, second, third and fourth? No, no. So we've, we've set this other trash bin on fire. Look at this. <laughs> the thing is, as well, that this budget is sort of meaningless in the sense that we're still careening towards a no-deal Brexit, at which point we'll require an emergency budget, at which point there will be a massive dip in tax take, I think. Um, it just happened to be that he he's been gifted a bit of extra money because the Office of Budget, Office of Budget Responsibility found that the government had been underestimating the tax take at the moment. But if we are in, as I think we will be, incredibly bad economic straits by the middle of next year or certainly careening towards them, the benefits that we've got from this budget, meagre as they are, will be a raise anyway. Oh, no, Mick. Forecast the economy will grow from 1.3% to 1.6%. So there's your Brexit dividend. We're going to be fine. Now, here's, here's the figure that matters. Here's okay. the figure that matters. Go right. on. It's a little piece of shit contained inside the, the free chocolate that is a change in the rate at which um, uh, income tax will start being payable, right? Mm-hmm. So they're putting up the, the threshold to 12000 odd, right? And saying this brilliant thing because it takes more people out of tax. 40% of people well, stop are it. Mick, Mick, you know what? That's my next question. You, you've, kind of, you, you've kind of preempted it. So, yeah. all right. So, uh, the. How does that say we're not in austerity in, 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 well, in a time of Mick, um, economic separation for people? I was utterly shocked. Utterly shocked as well. Right. So, just for our transatlantic cousins and uh, anybody else who's not a Brit, uh, the, the personal allowance of which the threshold of tax is started to be paid, uh, which is a rate of 20%, has risen from £11,850 to £12,500. The shocking thing is that the Institute of Fiscal Studies in 2006-16 said that the proportion of working age adults who do not pay income tax is 438 percent equivalent to 23 million people so it's utterly 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 a shock when you look at and our twelve thousand pounds is the equivalent of fifteen thousand dollars at current exchange rate mm. so amanda let, let's kind of bring you into this so the national living wage was increased in the budget by 4.9 percent from seven pounds and 83 pence to eight pounds 21 an hour or basically $10.48. Now, since uh, July 24th, uh, 2009, the federal government has mandated that the national minimum wage in the states is $7.25 per hour. And this is some $11 in California. 
why do so many Republicans not see that this is one of the key millstones around people aspiring to a better life and being able to look after their families. You guys are all about picking yourself up by your bootstraps, working hard and getting a fair day's wage. How can anybody in America survive off $7.25 an hour? I mean, they can't. And it's it's one of those things where, you know, Republicans say they are about picking yourself up by your bootstraps and working for a living. But all the indicators show that they're actually just a party that wants to wring as much labor out of people as they can for as little money. They're just basically the the party of capitalist interests in this country. And, you know, it, it ultimately just comes down to a lot of business owners feel that they make more money if they don't have to pay a living wage. And it's not it's no more no more complicated than that. Hmm. But it is incredibly short-sighted capitalism, though, isn't it? Because actually what you are doing is taking people off of other government-supported welfare systems if they actually have more actual money in their pocket first off. But uh, Mick, the Chancellor also said that work allowances for universal credit are going to be increased by $1.7 billion, and there's an extra billion to help welfare claimants transfer to universal credit. The Chancellor insists that this controversial system is here to stay. Is he right? Uh, well, if we, if we retain this government, yeah, it doesn't work. It's a boat with a massive hole in it, but he can keep topping up, keep it up in the water. But uh, no, it doesn't work. But it's not going anywhere with this government. This government, despite Theresa May entering Downing Street with promises to pay attention to the concerns of the poor and the downtrodden, I have no interest in that. It's it, this is a this is a government run in the interests of capital and not in the interests of workers. Uh, same as every other government we've had for the first twenty five years. Now, I'm going to end up with you, Amanda, on this. We have commemorated Brexit, or at least we are going to commemorate Brexit. Now, (laughs) Brexit is the biggest geopolitical economic fuck-up that this country has done since, I don't know, retreat from Suez or um, our ignominious retreat from Singapore, or you you just name any military disaster in the middle of the 20th century. But we don't see it as such. Right, so we're going to have a commemorative 50 pence coin to mark our departure from the EU. When's the last time you Americans created a memento for disaster? Was there a special commemorative dollar when you lost in Vietnam or something or another? Please tell me that you Americans have done this and we're not the only country to do such a ridiculously foolhardy thing. If it makes you feel any better, Ooh. Trump put out a commemorative coin for his supposed diplomatic meeting with Kim Jong-un. So, <laughs> wow. I'm not, that I didn't is know not that. Joke. Yeah, and it's, it's real ugly. <laughs> and, and, and as soon as it happened, everyone was like, this is amazing because it's going to be a disaster, which it was. <laughs> so don't feel too bad about that. Mick, how do you feel about our new coin? Um, yeah, I'll make a good replacement for the pound coin, won't it? <laughs> well done i just used that joke that everyone did on twitter that, yeah. you know when everyone has the same joke and i just thought i i said that what, what i'm going to do is to prepare for the post-brexit apocalypse 
I'm going to print out all those jokes and then um, use that paper to burn and keep warm or just to sort of trade. <laughs> there we go. Good, good. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. It's the end of the show, so let's have our takeaways of the last seven days. Kick off your shoes, settle down, get a nice glass of wine. It's that time where we just talk about nice stuff. No more horrible politics, no more nationalism. It's just nice stuff we're going to talk about now. Amanda, over in trendy, hip, but increasingly cold New York, what's been your takeaway of the last seven days? I saw the new Halloween movie last night, Mm -hmm. um, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I was... You know, somewhat skeptical. The first uh, Halloween movie is a classic. Most of the rest have been garbage. Um, but they did some interesting stuff with it. Um, and it was genuinely, like, there was a lot of comedy in it. It was genuinely scary. Um, you know, the crowd was screaming. They were applauding. It was kind of everything you want out of a, a horror movie. And uh, obviously, Jamie Lee Curtis is a national treasure. Good, good. And where did you see that exactly? At the Alamo Draft House in Brooklyn. <laughs> I tell you, there, there is something about seeing a film when it has just come out, a film with a certain amount of hype, in a theatre, in a cinema with other people, because you do get that powerful sense of energy, don't you? And, uh, you know, people do, do whoop and holler. Um, Mick, over to you, sir. Um, inspire us. Oh, well, yeah, um, I was going to talk about something not inspiring, so I'll talk about something inspiring, which is um, a really good six-song EP uh, by three brilliant um, uh, female artists who uh, have got together. So uh, Julianne Baker uh, is brilliant, and so is Lucy Darkus, and so is Phoebe Bridges, and they've got a new EP out called Boy Genius, um, and it's well worth listening to, um, because how many all-female supergroups do we get not many and it's brilliant um yes the other thing i did want to mention was and and it's something i'm currently writing now or working on now is um about poppy policing um and i want to hear from 
listeners about if they've been policed for not wearing a poppy and whether they huh. think that that has increased in the UK recently because I think it has and I think it's a kind of interesting post-Brexit time phenomenon of forcing people to wear poppies regardless of whether they want to or not. Give me, uh, give me your anecdotal evidence on that, sir. Well, if you look on social media, it happens a lot. Um, mm-hmm. the, the most interesting one is, is this, is this um, footballer called James McLean who's from, um, who, who's from Derry. Uh, and doesn't wear a poppy because he would wear it if it purely commemorated uh, losses in the First and Second World Wars, but because it, it's about troops from, you know, the, the whole swathe of uh, modern history, he doesn't because obviously he's from Derry and, and you know, the Northern Irish history of the British Army is uh, slightly uh, more complex than it would be on the mainland here. So uh, he's he, every year now there's a big scandal about the fact that he refuses to wear a poppy to match it at, during matches. But also you'll see crazy stuff like back in 2016, the BBC uh, making sure that when the Cookie Monster appeared on the 8th of November on the one show that the Cookie Monster was wearing a poppy. So it's kind of distortion and weirdness around the need to wear the poppy emblem, basically. Amanda, you you aware what the poppy is? Um, I am vaguely aware of what the poppy is. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised that you Americans don't really go in for something similar. So the the whole genus of the thing is that after the First World War, um, those chewed up bombed fields, which are just so many young men had lost their lives to the poppies you know sprung back massively into life afterwards because obviously that ground was then rich with with their blood quite literally and we've then used it as a symbol to commemorate on november the 11th on remember it's sunday fallen british soldiers not just in the first world war but really for all wars now but I must admit, Mick, I haven't really noticed that anybody has looked looked at me sideways for having one or not. But I know there it is. It definitely seems to be a social media phenomenon, mm. um, largely. Uh, particularly, you know, I say last year, uh, Moen Ali, the cricketer, he was in a photo shoot and his poppy had fallen off. So all the other critics wearing the poppy and of course he wasn't which you know yeah. there's this thing of like uh, you know the, uh, the racist really enjoyed yeah, the, that the, the brown person sort of wasn't wearing a, a poppy yeah yeah exactly and the first thing it's worth saying is that the royal british legion say everyone should have decide whether they want to wear one for themselves or not and they don't think that anyone should be forced to wear anything they don't want to so you know they don't want that to happen mm. uh my takeaway before the show started, I was warming up my vocal larynx by speaking to Amanda about the awesome Netflix series, which is uh, Daredevil Season 3. It's just a total joy. The great thing about Daredevil, if you're into superheroes and, and super baddies, is that it's grounded in life. You know, We're not talking about a hyper-realist world like Batman because Bruce Wayne is this incredibly rich, uh, you know, I was going to say incredibly rich billionaire as opposed to being a poor billionaire, but somebody who's got all these gadgets and toys. Uh, Matt Murdock is this blind lawyer and he inhabits a world which is very recognisable to our own. Uh, the baddies are gangsters, basically, um, not super-powered villains, etc. 
and his power, his shtick, is that his other senses other than his eyes are heightened. So in effect, he can see by his incredible sense of hearing and sense of smell, etc. And as a kid, I fe- as a teenager, sorry, I fell in love with Daredevil because when Daredevil got punched in the face by a baddie, the next day went to work with, with a bruise. It <laughs> felt very real. And there was so much Catholic iconography and symbolism about Daredevil. It's all about redemption and he does go to confessional and you discover when reading the comics in this classic run in the 1980s that his mother, though he didn't realise, he thought his mother had died when he was born, was actually a nun. And there's these great images of, of him weeping in churches and just you know, when he discovers his mother. I love my Spider-Man, I love my Captain America, but there's something incredibly human and, and just very earthy about Daredevil. And to see the comics of my teenage youth transposed onto Netflix, and it's the same Born Again storyline with Daredevil is hiding out in the church and questioning in his faith with God. It's just great to see. And just the extra layer of faith, and humanity with with this hero was absolutely great go on to netflix watch daredevil season three it's utterly awesome it's totally enjoyable mick tell us what you've been up to on social media before we go um yeah i'm there i'm at broken bottle boy uh, on social media um find me there use me as you wish <laughs> amanda markup no one's going to abuse you but how can people find you on social media and what are you working on at the moment I'm at Amanda Marcotte, just my name on Twitter, um, easy to find. And you can always find my work at salon.com. And you can find me on social media where, yet again, I'll just posted more pictures about my folks, specifically Twitter where I'm at Royfield. And I'm going to force myself to talk more about politics online. Um, this week, if you're in the Boston area, you can go along to the Sound Education Conference at Harvard, where I will be taking not one not two, but three lectures about podcasting, podcasting from the margins and about history through a unique personal narrative. So it's the Sound Educational Conference at Harvard, which is uh, Thursday tomorrow, which is the 1st of November through to the 3rd, which is Saturday. Hopefully I'll see you then. Uh, Don't forget, uh, you can find us online, specifically on social media, where we are at Mid-Atlantic Show. Uh, And eventually I'll sort out Facebook, but I say that every week and I never do. I need help. But what you can do to help us is go on to a podcatcher of your choice, the one that you probably listen to the show through now. Go on, write us a review. Next time we do a show, I will actually thank the people who have written us reviews uh, so far this year. There are quite a few of you. Uh, It was a pleasant surprise to go on to Australian iTunes and discover that there was actually some reviews for the Mid-Atlantic show, let alone the UK and US stores. So we will thank you next time we do a show. But go on, write a review and you'll get your name on the show next time. That's been us. Toodaloo. Take care. Bye-bye. Woohoo! Well done, you two. Thank you. No, no, thank you, Amanda.
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.